Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC and a buoyant mood in the studio tonight as Fulham last night made it 20 unbeaten, a 1-0 victory over Reading uh, that we'll be discussing plenty of in this show. It was the Royals of Reading uh, that Fulham slayed last night at Craven Cottage and I've got three kings in their own right in the studio tonight. The king of Snapchat, Jack Kelly. Hello. King of VKs, Don Betts. Hello, hello. And a man that doesn't like to be called King because his nickname's Prince, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How you doing, all everyone? Yeah, good, thank you. Well, what a night last night. Fulham moved up to second in the table with that 1-0 win and the late news that Jack Grealish scored an absolute scream. Super Jack. For Aston Villa as they beat Cardiff 1-0. Just to say that uh, Fulham this this season is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials. Head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, we'll discuss Reading loads in a moment. We've got to do some three-word reviews from last night's victory. Jack, what came in and what platform are you using? We're going to mix it up and go to the gram. To the gram and see what we can find. Uh, I'm going to start with Connor Sharif's Super Super Jack. Which is a good one. Holmogram's another Warnock wobbly. <laughs> uh, Chef Chris says unprecedented unbeaten streak. Uh, and John Alex PMM, let's stay focused. I would like to throw one in from Twitter, which was a brilliant, brilliant response that we got yesterday. In fact, I think it was the only thing that we retweeted because we were all so kind of caught up in the moment. But one of the... Oh, was this from Ozzy Cottager? Yes, it was. Goal, grind, Grealish. Yes. <laughs> a lot of time for that. The three-word reviews have by far and away been taking up pod titles in recent weeks. I'll be interested to see if any of no, those... No, we're changing out this week. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah we're we're, you have to wait to the end of the uh, podcast to find out uh, what the th- um, podcast title is today. We've also got an interview coming up at the end of the podcast from Roland Jacarello, um, who wrote the book Being Fulham, and Jack went to meet him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you had a good time chatting to him, did you? Yeah, we had a really good chat. Uh, about Fulham in general, a little bit about the book, but you know, most about this season, how it stacks up against other seasons. So, very much holds tight for that one. Yeah, it's an interesting interview. So, make sure you stick around till the end of the podcast for that. Right, uh, all the admin out of the way. Dom, it was a. It was a comfortable win, really, against Reading yesterday. Reading barely posed a threat, but at the final whistle. I felt shattered. I felt exhausted because it was just one of those 90 minutes of football that seemed to go on forever. And I just felt at all times like we were going to throw it away. But how brilliant now. We're in second. It's not quite in our hands yet, though. Well, no, it just isn't in our hands. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not quite in our hands. It just isn't in our hands. But we are in second. We it's are se- in second, but and Wolves need to win the game in hand. Hopefully, Derby beat Wolves tonight, so they have some momentum going into the game in hand. But to be fair, I was more worried when we were tuning up against Leeds and when we were 1-0 up against Reading yesterday. Mm-hmm. I always felt if Leeds got a goal, then they were straight back in the game. Reading, apart from in the first 15, 20 minutes before we scored, they didn't really offer much. I mean... Also, why is all the media out there saying Ream cleared it off the line? It's not anywhere no. near the goal line. <laughs> it's about three yards yeah. out. But no, I think. It's a good block, though. Yeah, no, it's a good block. In the opening, like, yeah, 10, 15 minutes, they were threatening us. But I feel like in the second half, they were attacking us and running at us. But I didn't realize, didn't really think they were threatening us, like, towards our goal. So I was quite comfortable. I don't think the, med- the midfielders, that's what I was looking for, and the forwards were that good or that clinical I thought they weren't really taking on their, uh, the opposition defence but the defence was quality last night I mean my, my man of the match was Matt Target 
I thought him and Ream were probably our two best players last night. Yep. Nothing new there, really. But yeah, No shocks. But no, I thought it was actually quite a comfortable win, really, after the first 15, 20 minutes. The goal sort of settled everyone down. And obviously when the uh, Jack Grealish goal went in, uh, carnage and Hammersmith end. But I think, yeah, I think the greatest thing was getting into the line after the game and just seeing Neil Warnock's face <laughs> on the screen in his post-match interview. But yeah, I thought it was quite a comfortable win and we keep going on with uh, 20 games unbeaten. Well, the race is well and truly on. But Jack, I didn't think it was sublime football really from Fulham last night. It's not one of those performances we're going to look back at the end of the season and think, oh, that was a scintillating Fulham performance. And we could have been one or maybe two goals down after 15 minutes because Reading, I thought, started strongly. You mentioned the chance that Tim Ream cleared off the line. I thought the best chance fell to Mo Barrow. He was pretty much unmarked in the box and he miskicks it. It kind of comes off his shin and goes backwards. It was a good clearance, if anything. But if he makes connection to that, he was free in the box and it would have been a certain goal. And we saw what happened last season against Reading. When you go 1-0 down to them, mm. I know it's different times, but it would have been a real uphill struggle. Yeah, it would have been really, really disappointing to go 1-0 down especially in a game um, of the magnitude of last night. They created opportunities in the first 20 minutes, but um, the Mo Barrow chance, we kind of got the luck where he didn't actually get the shot away. And then from there, we managed to get the goal, and that kind of, like Dom said, settled us down a bit. And uh, from there, they didn't really threaten us. Jack, can you remember the last time that Fulham were losing in a game? Barnsley? Barnsley back wow. in January we haven't been behind or trailing in a game and it just got me thinking me and my dad were working that out for a good two or three minutes um, post-match Fulham made grew- sharper stuff well right? yeah, yeah obviously um, Fulham though grew into the game and the goal was actually a really really lovely pass from Matty Target yeah. Often, so often we try and work it from the byline but I think Matty Target just caught that Reading defence a little bit by surprise. Yeah, a little bit napping. Um, it was a, I think, before the actual cross, what needs to touch, he, Matt Target did an absolutely sublime touch to take the ball down in the first place. And then there's a passenger play and he gets worked back to Target and he whips it in and Steph does well to sort of bundle home. Um, but yeah, it, it was really, really good work from Target. And well, I think we tweeted saying all Target, all Target. And, and that basically was the truth. It was his touch that really got us going in the move because it looked like the ball had gone a little bit far in, fa- in, in, in first look. Um, and then, you know, after that, he, he provides a really, really lovely cross. And ultimately, Steph doesn't have much to do. Steph doesn't connect with it particularly cleanly, but he's so close to you know the goal by the time he you know connects with the ball at all that it kind of doesn't matter as long as he gets it on target, it's in. And... Um, we did so, and, and that was kind of the, the defining moment of the game, I suppose. You can see that Paul Clements got that side looking far, far more organised. Yeah. They were looking a bit like the Reading of last season, obviously just missing that bit of confidence that they had um, last year in the playoffs. But it all felt so reminiscent of all those last three games that we played against Reading last season, three and a half. Yeah, right. I, I suppose, you know, you look at someone like Kermigant, who was obviously such a big feature and he his kind of hold up play last year was what allowed Reading to you know make their kind of chances count and yes it was a penalty against Fulham but aside from that you know most of their goals that most of their games they won 1-0 were either Kermigant goals or things where Kermigant held the ball up and and laid it off and and that kind of you know it doesn't seem to be the case I thought Bob Varsen did all right to be honest and and he was a threat especially in the you know first 20 minutes as we highlighted already um but it it was sort of there was no spark about Reading whatsoever. And, you know, while they had a good chance early doors, um, they didn't seem 
it, it all seemed to be based on the idea of like one player doing doing something. It wasn't about a combined team effort. And you look like things like the way Fulham stream forward in the second half, and everyone's trying to get forward, everyone's trying to support. And in fact, if we were guilty of overplaying, if Reading were going to score, it was going to become a, it was a moment of individual madness that was going to you know break make that happen. And, and there was a couple of times it came a little bit close. Yeah, of course. But you look at you know look at the way that Fulham tried to work it, and it's just the exact antithesis of the way that Reading play football. And you know, ultimately, second half we should have and could have scored scored more. Well, yeah, we'll come on to that in a second. I guess the, I mean, you think back to Marcus Bettinelli. The hardest things he had to do last night were control a couple of back passes yep. <laughs> towards him, which there was one that my heart did stop for about <laughs> yeah, half a lofted second. one. Yeah. Oh my! From Reem. Oh my gosh! I, I, that, <laughs> that nearly ended me. Fulham in the second half. I thought it was a little bit clunky, but actually, some of the attacking play was absolutely brilliant. Were we a bit guilty, Dom, though, of overplaying? Yeah, we, I, th- we, I, yeah. I thought we just kept trying to do too much of it. There's certain times I was like, can you just hit the ball, please? Just just whack it and something might happen. Because we kept we kept sort of trying to run down the byline oh, into the box and cut it back to Mitrovic. It was like they just wanted to give him his 10th goal of the season yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, just, just hit the ball. Like, Kearney... There was a chance where Kenny, when he cut it back to Mitrovic, I was like, just ping it on your left foot, mate, and it might mm. go in. And Although I did think, like, Kenny and quite a lot of players, I thought, did look quite knackered going past the 70th minute. So I was surprised Kenny didn't get taken off. I was quite surprised it was Stephanie Hansen, although it's another Stephanie Hansen performance when a goal is making him look like he played well. I mm. thought Steph did all right. He thought, didn't. No, he, well, yeah, but I think it, it was like when he won man a match at Norwich away. I was like, that, that, that was not... He Except played quite forward. far forward, I thought, Steph. He was often... He, he seemed like the main support to Mitrovic. I think it was because Reading weren't playing in that third in between, uh, in front of Kevin McDonald. There wasn't any sort of Reading possession in that area. All the all Reading were doing were getting it down the lines and kind of run run past our full-backs because obviously they had Mo, Mo, Modu Barrow, Sonia Luko, and then they're trying to whip it into everything in the middle with Bod Varson, Chris Martin, Jan Camorgan. So, but yeah, I think we were trying too much. That, that we And what I didn't understand is we weren't taking... Reading players on, we were quite tentative when we had the ball. We were trying to like try to do some try intricate play. Like Sessignon didn't take on his, like Chris Gardner as much as I thought he would because Matt Target would play the ball into him and he's sort of just moving his feet about and trying to find a pass where I thought if he took him on we might have actually had more chances in the box. There was a Sessignon moment in the second half where he was running at Chris Gunter. I was just begging him to put it onto your left foot and have a go and again he tried to find the pass inside and I thought that was a little bit what Fulham were guilty of but we did create a lot of chances Jack and I think it was more down to a little bit of luck and just some slightly poor finishing I thought that Mitrovic got into great positions to for goal scoring opportunities but then just the finish slightly let him down where it hasn't been for the last yeah i mean few he, months. he dragged a couple of shots wide in the second half he had one off the post but it was offside and we got caught offside quite a few times in that game we did remarkably amount yeah but and we tried to overplay i remember the one chance where i think johansson and piazon they got mixed up in the box mm. one of them should have taken on the shot but yeah we created a lot of chances and the cabano one across the goal if sessignon had followed that run to the back post he might have scored but in the end of the day, we've got three points. Yeah, and we, and we there's only so much that we can complain. Uh, the news came through uh, oh my God. just a few minutes from the end. So I think it was getting to the point where the Fulham players weren't trying to get a second goal anymore. We were just trying to keep the ball in the corner. And I think it was as Steph Johansson was getting subbed off. Yeah, so what happened was I was watching it on Bet365. Because obviously there was a sub, so I was like, OK, I'll just stay down my phone. I was staring at the game and suddenly the um, Villa dangerous free kick all got suspended. I was like, oh my God, they've scored. 
flashed up saying goal and I just screamed Villa scored and everyone so was erupted. He... Everyone erupted around me. And Were you the man? Around. I might have been the man. I, I might thought have it been. came from on my right. I thought it came from... Well, you're behind me, aren't you? I'm in front of you. No, you're in front of me. I thought it came from across the right, but I, I might. Have I thought it just came. I, it was the boys at the back of H five that I thought alerted me. It was one of, it was. It was like it was crazy. Some, it was like something that you don't really see happen at Fulham. You see it. I remember it last season against Brentford when we saw the Leeds yeah. result coming through. That's the last time it happened. Oh yeah, I have a sadly one of those that I missed last season. But I mean, yeah, it was it was an amazing moment and the atmosphere from that moment it was already good up until yeah. then but the atmosphere from then until the final whistle was that kind of just saw us through it was I thought it was absolutely brilliant yeah it was good the roar at full time I've never heard anything like it yeah and and, and now we're in second Jack okay uh, Jack Collins um, Cardiff still do have a game in hand but personally I would always rather have the points Kevin Keegan over here um, yeah yeah, I mean, look, the the way I look at it is that Cardiff still need to slip up. And that's, you know, that's that's a fact of it. If Cardiff win every game, they're going to get promoted. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do about that. So until Cardiff slip up again and it's in our own hands, we can't be sitting here going, oh, it's on because, you know, the, the mathematically... It is on it's... now, though. There is a race. There's a race, yeah. But again, like we can win every game and not go up automatically. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a strong possibility, mm. and you know, yes, Cardiff has slipped up now twice in in three times in, in in a week, and obviously that's good. It's good news for us, and it's good that their confidence is being knocked, and hopefully, you know, Norwich can go and do a job on them, and especially if they play like they did against Aston Villa at the weekend, yeah. there's every chance that that could happen. But Cardiff were unlucky last night. I hate to say it, but they were, and yeah, they had lots of chances. As if there there was somewhere you couldn't believe the ball hadn't gone in, and you know, I was looking at Twitter occasionally, to, you know, to post and then also to, to see what was going on it was like it was like how the post was saying how have Cardiff not scored mm-hmm. and it's like you know you're looking at that and you think okay maybe luck's on our side but then at the same time if Cardiff are creating opportunities sooner or later it's going to it's going to happen for them they, those they, those opportunities aren't going to stay out for the rest of the season just because we like we want them to mm. so I mean you're right as in we have to keep winning keep doing our own thing and hope that Cardiff slip up and can you see them making a mistake in the five games they've got left yeah of course you can like, of course you can but we've got hard games of our own you know least of all Millwall and Brentford in the next two and we've got to we've got to make them count and if we can make them count and watch Wildcard if then have the pressure heaped on them all the time then hopefully that can come through for us if Fulham win all four games yes. do you think that that will do it yes yeah. I do Definitely. yeah I think the next two obviously, it's a bit obvious thing to say but the next two games define our season because they, like, everyone was was like looking at them and said oh we've got an easy run we really don't yeah like Brentford our record against them is awful we've two only, losses two draws in the last four at home yeah exactly we've only beaten them one since we come down which was that uh, win at their place in the two and obviously being in the cup doesn't really count so but although then saying that our record against Leeds was pretty dreadful we hadn't beaten them at home since they come down mm-hmm. the only time we beat them before the two nil last week was the one nil away from home when Hugo Rodriguez scored I think this has been the season where some of those kind of poor run statistics yeah, have but, but come it's tumbling. Like, and Brentford, they're not out of the playoff race. They're only like four points behind. No, the thing for Brentford, I think, is the amount of teams between them. Yeah. Like, if it was only... They were only two places behind, but four points, I'd feel like they have a bit more of a chance, but I just can't see the amount of teams in front of them dropping the correct amount of points. Um, but you speak of Millwall, a brilliant win last night for them. They seem a little bit unstoppable, Um and a good and win up at Bolton. I mean, that's a tough place to go and get a win. Yeah, we're a little bit lucky as well. But 
Um, yeah, Bolton had some very, very good chances. Yeah. Uh, Millwall, you know, you, you watch them and, and sometimes they're brilliant and sometimes they're awful, but they always seem to get results and mm. that's a you know mark of a side in form. And you could you know you could say the same to a to a point with Fulham. You know, we're not always at our scintillating best vila v last night. But mm. you know, it, the results keep coming and you know, if, if we can keep them going and keep them ticking, then you know, there's no reason that we can't make this you know dream a reality. Yeah, I think I said I think I said this when this in the, when there was like five or six games to go. I said we can we can avoid to drop points, i.e., drawing in one game, but no more. And I think if we're going to drop points in any game, it will be the Millwall game. I feel like Brentford, we've we've, we've been so solid at home this season. As long as we don't do a QPR, like we've only since New Year's Day, we've conceded two or we've seen conceded three goals at home. The one against Ipswich and the two against QPR. I think before we conceded two against QPR, we'd scored twenty three with no reply. So we were very confident at home, and I think. One thing that might help us is that when it was against Mill was the way Brentford play. It's very similar to the way we play. They like to have the ball. They're going to be more open things there are against Mill. They're going to be very tight defensively. They're going to be playing a direct style of football. I think I read a stat last week that Mill and Cardiff actually played the least amount of passes in the division, but they're like sixth and third at the moment. Well, let's come on to uh, Brentford in just a little bit because we're going to be previewing that. And don't forget, Jack's interview is also coming in a little bit too. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. It's Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hola. Tom Betts. Hello, hello. And Jack number two, Jack Kelly. Super hello. Jack. Yeah, there's lots of Jacks in the studio tonight, not Swansea fans. Um, so, if you haven't seen on Twitter, big, big news today. Fulhamish yes. merch has been released. And Release the hounds. And I tell you what, it's been a far more positive reaction than I uh, expected. It's gone down very well. I was expecting a positive reaction. A big man like Dave Preston making the merch, and and he came through with the fire fire stuff. There's some lovely designs. There's more to be unveiled as well over the next few weeks. But we've launched our first three t-shirts, uh, so you can get one that's a definition of Fulhamish, which actually this season I don't think is very accurate. But for every other season, is perfectly accurate. Don't say that yet. I'm touching every piece of wood in this. Studio. I said so. Lucky, there's quite a lot of wood in the yeah, studio. Yeah, so. yeah. Wood. yeah, this studio is a bomb site that we're recording in right now. Um, also, there is a T-shirt that says Slavisa had a dream. Yeah, that's quite nice. And it's quite tidy, that one. And there's a nice Tom Kearney T-shirt as well. Ain't nobody like Tom Kearney. So if you fancy some Fulhamish merch, it supports the podcast. We're not profiting out of this. It's not paying for Jack's holiday to Malaga in the summer. It's just so we can, you know, continue to run the podcast. If you fancy a Fulham T-shirt, we make a little bit, not loads. Uh, make sure you just head to um, either Fulhamish's Facebook, Instagram or Twitter page. The links are there. Go buy yourself a T-shirt. We have to sell 10 of each before they make them and they're only available for the next 10 days. So get them quick. Limited edition offer, you know. They are literally limited edition offer. Yeah. So you've got until about the Millwall game if you haven't bought it by then, it's too late. So make sure you get them. You get involved now. Yeah, exactly. A uh, little stat I wanted to bring up before we chat about Brentford. Um, Millwall, the last time we played them, which was uh, late November, uh, Fulham and Millwall were 14th and 18th in the league, respectively. That was with 18 games gone. That was just after we'd um, got that win against Sheffield United. I mean, what a transformation that now Fulham and Millwall sit in second and sixth, respectively. Well, it, we mentioned this actually on the podcast or probably around the time. It was like the first half of the championship season, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, yeah. I was saying, like, as long as you're not, you're not cut away at the bottom, you're still 
and a team's not cut away, and two teams aren't cut away at the top like Brighton and Newcastle were last season, then you've got every chance to actually get playoffs or get top two because as long as you're in and around mid-table, like we even said it if we were in and around mid-table after the first month or two when we had a lot of tough games, as long as you're in and around it, you've always got a chance. And once we well, we saw this with Fulham last season, once we get in our stride, we we know how to win win games. And yeah. lo- obviously the way we did it last season was a bit different. We were just bulldozing past teams mm-hmm. last season, whereas this season it's a bit more professional, I guess is the way to call it. Mm-hmm. We seem to be, sort of know what we're doing more whereas last season we're like okay we'll just score more goals than you but you say the first half of the season isn't important and as much, I do agree with you to a point I see what you're trying to say but you look at the table then and you look at it now and obviously some teams have changed one or two places but Fulham and Millwall going up are the only teams that are in the bottom half of the table that have really kind of made an assault on the playoffs and the only team that was kind of at the top and has really fallen by the wayside is Nottingham Forest, who are in seventh at this point. You could argue Leeds United were in ninth uh, and they've fallen a little bit. But, apart. you know, pretty much every other team in the, in the table no, has stayed I, I, consistent I, no, apart from us. They're staying there, but I'm saying if you want... It doesn't define your season where you are in, in that point and you can make that change. Like, yes. And other teams just didn't make that change, whereas us and Mill have. So it's clear, what I'm saying is you don't. it doesn't define your season where you are. If you're in the top half or in the top six, you just need to keep doing what you were doing. Yeah. If you're in the bottom half, it's not game over. You can reach up to the top. Like We're in like second now and we are in 14th back then. We, I think we were 17th when we lost to Sunderland. Yeah. It's taken an absolutely unprecedented run of form to make that happen. I know, I, I'm not denying games. that, but it's not like the first time this has happened. Well, no, no. Crystal Palace are the famous yeah. example, aren't Reading they? did it when West Ham went up as well. Mm. They, they were in the bottom half and they just went on an, an extraordinary run. So it, it's not like it's an unprecedented sort of thing to happen it's just it doesn't happen to many teams but it shows it is a possibility and if you just keep on winning a lot of the other teams won't and you will go up the table I think that our transfer window had a lot to do with it though signing Mitrovic and signing Matt Target These also like you know, we talk about transfer window someone actually meant I can't remember if it was towards Fulham or it was just a generic point on Twitter but someone made a point that is the losing Craig Klein or him being let go the, the defining point of our season no because it's not it isn't but it, the transfer window is because mm. Signing Matt Target, I think he's probably the best left back or one of the best left backs in the division. He's totally changed our team. Because he's moved Session on further forward, but he's a just a good left back. He can mm. defend. He's also good going forward. And he's he's different to a Scott Malone who just had has no idea what he's doing generally. <laughs> but um but he but like, he knows when to stay back, he knows yeah. when to overlap, he knows when to hit an early cross instead of mm. going down to the byline. Obviously Mitrovic has scored nine in ten games for us, which is which is plainly ridiculous. Although we have just got a Premier League striker in the Championship. But overall, yeah, the transfer window has changed. It's just changed the way we play. We didn't have that target, man. We saw it briefly sort of with Chris Martin last season, how it brings all the other players into the game. And when we're trying to kill out a game in the last minutes, we can just lump a ball up to a like six foot two, six foot three striker. Mm. I think that as much as the transfer window has been massively important, I think it is important to remember, though, that this run started considerably before we signed those players it started well it started at Barnsley but it no no I know it started then but if you look at the fixtures before that we were sort of just scraping by with the results yeah. maybe I if you take away the Cardiff game if you look at the Barnsley game on uh, the t- on, on the 20- we were beating you, poor teams yeah if you look on the 23rd Barnsley that I didn't go to that game because I was just way too hungover but uh, that's the first one you missed in years wasn't no, it no no I don't mind missing your home game but I don't have an issue with that like, but I went to the pub after the game, which too 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 hungover oh, to so go. It still, to. Ca- still counts then. Yeah, I mean, still still counts. But so so that was like a, was it one nil, two nil, two one. Yeah, Shea, I remember Shea Ojo scoring. It was a poor game. Yeah, yeah. So we weren't playing well in that game. Uh, Cardiff, 
we I don't, that was when we first turned up. Yeah, that's. What I think that I I look, think we look back at this season. Uh, I do look at Cardiff as a game changer. But I think Sunderland was a game changer because it was a wake up call. That was like we've just yeah. lost to one of the worst sides in the division, and since then we haven't lost. Oh, yeah, on, the train, on, on the train back, I was at Slough has to go after that performance. Yeah, I was very disappointed. That uh, performance was I was not I was I was not disappointed. I was livid at him because yeah. why are you playing Seth Hansen at false nine? It doesn't matter now because we're, we're second. Let's I'm not leave it, but it, it <laughs> we could go and do it again. But it, it, we you know we had that conversation at the time, and and one of the things that's been kind of important this season is when we started winning loads, people started saying, "Oh look, where's where's all the people saying you know." Slav out and from, yeah. from October. It was ludicrous to say that because at the time Fulham were playing tactically, tactically ineptly. We we didn't have you know any sort of drive, passion, heart. That game at Wolves was just absolutely diabolical. We knew, Wolves we weren't knew. even very good. Like it was one of those, and and it got progressively worse through Brentford and Sunderland. And it was one of those things where at the time. The, you know the questions had to be asked, and you know credit is due for Slav for turning it around and sorting himself out and and becoming you know and taking this team to what it is now, and he deserves all the credit for that. But he deserved all the criticism at the time because we were playing so badly. And, and those performances weren't bad luck. Mm-hmm. Sometimes no. you go on a string of two or three defeats, and it's yeah. I look at a bit of Cardiff. Cardiff gone two defeats and a draw, and as much as it pains me, it's bad luck. Those well, they results. They should score penalties. They should score penalties. Like should. They should score some of the chances they had last night. I think if John Ruddy's on the Christmas card list, then Sam Johnston also <laughs> has to be one of those oh, saves he pulls off. Dave, shades of David Seaman pulling it back from behind, behind him. him yeah. Unbelievable. And Super Jack. But it's, what, what I don't understand is like these the people who are saying, "Oh, where the slow up people now?" They see they're acting like we're unhappy about what's happening at the moment. I was like, no. And it's, it's like, it, it's, it seems like, it's just like, oh, we had the right opinion, you didn't. It's like, no, we, we didn't, we, which fair, me and Jack weren't saying slab out. It's like, well, if he, do, he needs to change something. Yeah, and I don't, he, know what, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was, as Jack, other Jack mm. says, JC, and not JK, we've got two little Jacks here. Yeah, two small Jacks. Yeah, but I think, yeah, that was a catalyst though, because we, we changed after that. Okay, maybe the Barnsley game was not maybe to change, but that Cardiff game, when Cardiff were up and flying, they were all, they were awful in that game. Yeah, well, that was a per- that, that was a like, bad patch for them, wasn't it? Because that it, started it four was, but they the weren't, they were still up there at the top of the table. No, ours was the start of their bad form. I think then they went on a bad run after oh, our okay. result. Well, yeah. well, like, the only reason they scored that first goal is we'd get Kenneth Sahore scores an absolute weldy. Oh, yeah. I think I was still on my phone at this point. Cause we, ju- we literally just scored, I think. Oh, yeah, I was looking down at my phone and I heard this massive roar and I was like, oh, that's a goal. If, yeah. we have a, um, if we have a debate at the end of the season and we have to name the best opposition goal against us th- this season, I it'll think... Be, uh, no, it'll be Bolton's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think the horse is right up there. Anyway, we've gone massively off, yeah. off, off topic. Uh, let's look ahead to Brentford this weekend. The West London derby. Um, probably not the kind of game that Fulham really wants at the moment. You want games like Reading, really. You don't want to be having derbies at crucial points in the season. But, of course, these kind of games are always going to come about. It's a Saturday tea time game, the first of three games in a row uh, to be on Sky. And most likely every other game uh, for the rest of the season is going to be on telly, which is great news. Not great news for us, but good news for those abroad that you know can't watch all the games and or live in other parts of the country. And everyone can yeah. be a part of this Fulham ascendancy so for, for that point I'm happy Brentford are coming to town Jack mentioned on Monday they're bringing a boat and there is one thing really that Brentford fans um, want to do on Saturday and that is disrupt Fulham's party and give themselves an outside chance of sneaking into the playoffs and clog up the rocket but mostly the part mostly ruin the party yeah do you think they can 
Of course they can. It's Brentford. They're, a, good, think, they're a very good side. Okay, more to the point, do you think they will? No. I'm always wary of Brentford. We There's something about them. I think it's because they play football like we do. And most sides we just out who try and play against us, we out-football. But Brentford are actually a very good footballing side and they you know, deserve credit where it's due. They have less cutting edge, I say hopefully, and touching all the wood again in the studio. But it, they had less cutting edge now than they did before when they had work well, because obviously the, the loss of Lasse Viva, who was, you know, a bit hot and cold, but did actually put the ball in the back of the net a fair amount. Um, you know, but they've got Neil Morpay up there who who has actually started scoring a couple of goals recently. They you know what, there's there's good players in that Brentford side and you it's it's harder to pick a Fulham Brentford combined eleven than it is to pick a Fulham combined eleven with most teams, which is, you know, testament to their ability and, and the kind of players they have. Uh, and I think that they're gonna, you know, come here. They're gonna want to spoil the party. Look at someone like Sergi Canos. He like loved it. Like he had the best day of his life when he tried to rile up the Brentford fans when he scored at the Fulham end at Griffin Park. And you know, it obviously it's been drilled into them how much it means to them and how much their fans hate us. And we've got to be, you know, aware that that's coming and and, and kind of deal with it in in the way that we should do, which is to put three or four past them in the first half and and get the, the job done. Is the hope that you know you say that Brentford are very good footballing side? The other very good footballing side in this division is Wolves, and when they came to the cottage, we outfootballed them. Now, as good as Brentford are, they aren't as good as Wolves. So I guess if there's any logic, and football is famous for not following logic, mm-hmm. but that Fulham should still have too much for Brentford if f- both teams play at 100%. Yeah, I think our, our starting eleven is stronger than, than theirs on paper. They will obviously, it will be an open game and they'll obviously want to play on the deck and you know, frustrate us and they'll try and open us up a few times and we are suspect of getting opened up a few times. But um, at home, I back us any day of the week and no matter who we're against, unless it's Manchester City or Liverpool. But That um, would do them. Yeah, yeah Man City on a bad run of form. Pep, yeah. one having his usual end of season meltdown. And Liverpool are average. Yeah. But anyway, I think mm. I think we will we will win. I think, but uh, it won't be easy. I think we'll just about scrape over the line like we did last night. Well, Dom, their last three results quite resemblant of Fulham's. Really, they've got three and one nil victories in a row away at Bristol City. That's a good result. Well, Home it, to you Italy. say that's a good result. Bristol City have played. Awful recently. Yeah, that game against Brentford, they had one shot on target. If yeah, that. they weren't. They, they were, are in They free. were absolutely diabolical. But of that day in particular, mm. they were diabolical. Yeah, that, well, I have not seen a performance yeah. like worse. As in, uh, Brentford should have been four or five up yeah, by half time. Never mind. Like, yeah, my mate, my, my mate who went to the game was like, he was like, this is the first Bristol City game I'm going to this season. We're doing really well. Expecting a good performance. Nothing. Another one of my mates went to the Millwall away game they went to. Didn't have a shot on target. So, although it's a very good result for Brentford, Mill, Bristol City's kind of made it easier for them. But then, the, it seems they are getting results in a 1-0 victory isn't what you associate with Brentford. They beat Forest, uh, I think, last night. 1-0, and they yeah, also beat For- Ipswich 1-0. And Forest haven't scored a goal in like about two years. so. And they opened them up a couple of times as well. Exactly, and Ipswich aren't really playing for anything. So, uh, Although they're very good results, 9 points out of 9, 3 1-0 wins, 3 clean sheets, they aren't, the most, for me, the most convincing. No, they are... If you were looking for three easy yeah. fixtures, and when we when we play Sheffield Wednesday, they were like third or fourth in the form table. They, mm. They're unbeaten in the last four games. That said, QPR absolutely took them apart yesterday. 
I had a bet on Wednesday and I couldn't believe what was happening. We were 3 0 up in well, 19 yeah. minutes. Well, I mean, QPR at the moment are so inconsistent. To lose 4 0 up at Hull uh, one day and then yeah. three days later to you know batter Sheffield Wednesday. They, they, they are the microcosm of the championship. They. They literally define what the championship is, which is inconsistency. Yeah, hundred percent. They it's very weird. But in, you know, back like to it. on Brentford's point, it's it's kind of such a big game for them. You know, they they're looking at having an outside chance of the playoffs on top of the fact that it's their cup final, and you're <laughs> and you're suddenly talking about this is going to be unprecedented well, to, for level them, of for them noise. It's a must-win game. Well, yeah, that's it. If they lose, they're out. If they draw, yeah. they're out. Yeah. So they'll be all guns blazing, which hopefully will suit Fulham. They would love nothing more. But you say it's their cup final. At the moment, it's also so our, our cup, cup final. final. Yeah, but in a not because way. it's not because yeah, it's yeah, Brentford. Not because it's Brentford. Either way, it should be a great spectacle. Yeah, of course. And it hopefully will be a footballing spectacle, which is kind of you know what we've come to expect from these games recently, which is you know a good thing for both sides, I suppose. I do believe that we've got the ability uh, to cut all teams open as mm. well. And um, who do you think that Slav will start on Saturday? He seems to just be making one change a game. It seems to be coming at right wing. There do seem to be not fitness issues, but a few players getting knackered. Slav isn't rotating the squad anywhere near as much as he, we thought he would. We thought over Easter we would start seeing a few players like Cyrus Christie, a bit more of Niskins Cabana, who made a positive contribution when he came on yesterday against Reading. I guess Slav at the moment's thinking four games left of the season, I've just got to stick with my strongest eleven. But I feel personally that there needs to be a couple of changes in there because we're looking like we're burning out. Yeah, I'm surprised Norwood hasn't didn't play more over the Easter period because he's whenever he played for us in the beginning of the year in around January January time he was very very good yeah like he was controlling the games really really well I know he'd make his Holly Norwood or whatever is whatever you call him around here Holly yeah Holly Norwood it's, it's like it's long there's long field passes which work once a game but he's, he's, still, he's still a very good championship centre midfielder I, as much as I've called for Cabano to be playing, I wouldn't start him against Brentford because he's the only winger we have on the bench who can make an impact when he comes on. Ojo can't make an impact if he comes on. Pierzon can't really make an impact if he comes on. Aite can't make an impact if he comes on. So I'd rather save Cabano because we all know the other wingers are competent. And if Aite is back fit, because apparently the knock wasn't too bad against Sheffield Wednesday, I would start him. But then if not, I would just start Lucas Pierzon because I just think Ojo's like a load of rubbish. I actually... I mean, while on the surface I agree with you, I actually would start Ojo because I think we're going to need that kind of direct width to get at, to get at Brentford. And I don't think Piazon yesterday was guilty of overplaying more than potentially anyone else, and he just kept trying one thing too many. And maybe that's because it was Reading and yeah. all of those things. But it was one of those things where I was like, Piazon, just release it, like release it. Mm. And it was very strange at parts as to how. You know, much he wanted to hold the ball and how much he was another, really desperate. Another, for it. The reason I want to, st- I, I would start Piers on is because it's going to be one of those games where we're going to be taking our chances. Yeah, um, if, if it's and if it, if it ends up someone in the box, I don't want Ojo on that. I want Piers on that. He's although he's he's a lot different to all our wings. He's more technical. He's not as fast, but one on one, I don't or finishing in the box, I don't think any of our wings are any better. No, I agree with you. But that said, yesterday Piazon made the equivalent of zero chances, apart from the knuckleball free kick which he did was really weird. That was um, yeah. I mean if that goes either side of the keeper though, we think it's genius. Yeah, of course, but I just didn't I just don't think Lucas Piazon has that in his locker. Like I would have much preferred Lucas Piazon just curl one. Mm-hmm. Um but more than that, like look at the amount of chance yes he didn't convert them. The amount of chances that Ojo opened up for himself against Wednesday does suggest that he is getting himself in the right position 
positions and creating those opportunities and all it needs is for one of those chances to take a deflection take a bubble come off the keeper for someone to stab yeah. home and I think that Ojo offers that a little bit more yeah, than I, mean, like, I, I have no issue whoever starts as long as I don't think Cabano should start because yeah, I, we need we need that dynamism off the bench yeah. as much as he's my favourite winger we've got I think yeah. he's, even I think he's probably the best because he's dynamic he should, will try anything to score a goal he's not like he say he's going to try too much not like Ojo's going to try too much I think but we just need his dynamism off the bench there's no other player off the bench who offers as much as he does right well um, we need to round off today's pod before we get into our interview with your man Roland uh, with some questions quite a lot coming in we yeah. always struggle to get through them all and we do feel really, really bad. Obviously, we want to keep the pod nice and concise and try and get through as many as possible, but sometimes it's, it isn't possible. So do keep sending them in. We do love it. We do it. appreciate and, uh, it. And we do try and respond on the platform that you send them on, uh, even if we don't get round to them. But please don't feel bad if we don't answer them because we do actually get so many. But thank you so much. We're so appreciative. Um, this first one's from Jack Copeland. He says... We've been winning ugly and winning when we when we play well, but without properly dispatching teams. But frankly, we haven't been finishing great the last couple of games, and we struggled to grind out. We'll struggle to grind out one 0 results against the likes of Millwall, Brentford, Ojo, Aite, Cabano, and even McDonald have been a bit wasteful lately. Sess and Kenny should potentially shoot more. Only Mitrovic really is finishing well. Is it time to give Kamara a shot on the wing or bring him on to give Mitro a break? He's been finishing well and has pace and strength. Plus, frankly, deserves a bit more game time. To put this argument into context, he's played the same amount of minutes as Mitrovic with the same number of assists and only two less goals. Mm. I think I'm surprised he hasn't come on more because I think he he does offer something. But I think if you're trying to hold out a game, I don't really want Kamara on. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a I don't know double edged sword. Yeah, that's the word. But then again, I do feel like Kamara is the kind of player that is actually better at holding the ball up than you think. No, I'm he's not saying he's bad, but... He's it's... good at drawing fouls as well, which is yeah, you know, think... gold dust when you're trying to close that game. Yeah, but what you're missing there is the defensive contribution that Mitrovic makes from the likes of set pieces. Kamara doesn't win headers in the box. Mitrovic wins bloody everything. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times that Mitrovic wins the ball as well in their half, yesterday did a couple of amazing challenges. Yeah, I think that's it. I, I think you're right in terms of maybe Kamara should be getting a couple of more minutes and, and really starting to push on as that kind of impact sub but what we we talked about this on the in the podcast on Monday in that we don't really need impact subs at the moment we're not looking to chase games and therefore like the likes of Cabano's input the likes of Kamara who are you know those players the last time we were chasing a game like we say Barnsley and both of those players came on and made a contribution and since then we've not really been chasing and so it doesn't make sense to bring on the likes of Kamara because we're not playing long balls over the top we're trying to keep possession and yeah. Mitrovic does that far better than Kamara does I guess is it a case though we've been saying oh, I wouldn't start Cabano because there's no one left on the bench to be an impact sub could you start Cabano and then well you've got Kamara on the bench if you do then need an impact sub because the game hasn't gone your way I don't see what's putting bringing on Kamara to play on the wing yeah just, me neither it's a bit of a pointless irrelevant argument because but when he, this when is it, when what it, we criticised Slav for in the first place playing Kamara and Font on the wings yeah, that's true. I don't rate Font on the wing, but whenever Kamara comes on, he finds himself in wide positions yeah, but he doesn't, quite a lot. Yeah, but he doesn't know what to do once he's, he beats his man, but he has no clue what to do after that. So if you're going to... Uh, uh, for me, like only you, you play the 
best players you've got or bring on a player but you don't bring on that player because he's your next best player and you're going to play him somewhere that's what we had a problem with in the first half of the season we, we were bringing players on for players sake yeah, yeah. We, were, we were trying to play our 11 best players not our best team and for me if you're going to bring Kamara on you, you play him through the middle and nowhere else you bring bring you, you bring Cabana on to play on the wing it's like the other you know, what game was it? it was the Leeds game playing like whatever formation were when Nord and Callas came on yeah, that was 7-2-6 or whatever yeah so mm. I just don't understand the point in bringing on a player for the sake of bringing on that player play Bring a player on if he's going to make an impact in the, his best position. We saw that we've seen this when we made Europa League final. We've seen it when Leicester won the Premier League. You win, you win games and you win titles by playing the the best system you have with the best players that fit that system. You don't win it by just playing your best players. Mm. Okay, a couple of good questions here in the in the mentions. We did get a message, a mention, a, a message from Anthony Fernandez, who I assume is not. Tony Fernandez QPR owner, <laughs> um, which was about the substitutions, but I think we've dealt with it. So thank you, Anthony. I think we've kind of answered your question earlier on in the podcast. Um, this one's from Chris F. He says, in January, Mitrovic and Target were both considered surplus to requirements in struggling Premier League squads. Given that they are both clearly brilliant, does this show that the gap to the Premier League is vast or just reflect the poor fit of their respective clubs? It was just It's down to the respective clubs because Target, he's got Ryan Bertrand ahead of him, who's arguably one of the best left-backs in the league and argue one of England's best left-backs. Well, you know he's been a bit off the ball this season, but the way he's played in the last three or four, you can argue that. So yeah. he's never going to get in the side. Mitrovic and Benitez just don't get along because Benitez likes to play a really rigid, pragmatic style of football, not open, and it didn't it didn't, it didn't, didn't fit him. Like, Dal Murphy was getting in the team ahead of him last season. So I think it was just down to them not being able to get the opportunities at the club. They're definitely both Premier League quality. Definitely with Mitrovic and Ty, it's probably about Premier League quality. I think so. What I've seen. So it's down to their treatment at the form for their respective club. I thought Mitrovic was treated badly in Newcastle. I don't think Target was. He just had no chance of getting in the team when you have the likes of Ryan Bertrand. Did you see the article in Get West London, though, saying that Matt Target's had zero contact from Southampton since he joined? I don't know if... I don't know, maybe know about how it works. But I'd have thought that sounds a little bit off. Maybe, but also bear in mind, Southampton are mired in their own relegation struggles. The last thing I would, if I was a Southampton fan, the last thing I would want my club to be worrying about is the fortunes of our loan players. Yeah, like I would want them to be concentrating on the massive struggle they've got ahead of them, trying to stay in the Premier League. I don't know. I, I, as much as I see that, I think it's I, just people just looking way too much into something that really doesn't matter. Yeah, it's really not. It's really not an issue. It's just like. Just an article for article's sake. Do you think we have? Well, yeah. Um, do you think we have more of a chance of getting Margaret? Ma- flipping out. Margaret, Matt Target, um, <laughs> permanently if Southampton go down. No, I think we have less chance. Do you really? Yeah, because Ryan Bertrand is not going to play in the championship. Yeah, he'll be he'll be off. I think Target. If if Southampton go down and we go up, I think Target will want to stay because he'll want to play in the Premier League. But. I can't see Southampton be like, oh yeah, Sam, we'll just leave you have our left best, our second best left back when our actual left back is leaving. But surely we'd be able to bid money that Southampton would need. Yeah, but the money we'd have to pay for him would be le- would be more if they go down. I think so. Mm. We'd so, pay less for him if they stayed up. So we're all Saints fans for the next few weeks. Also, well, Fulham's original nickname was the Saints. <laughs> Did you okay. hear that? Well, yeah, because it's of the All Saints Church, isn't no, it's it? Saint Andrews. Oh. Yeah, Fulham's early nickname was the Saints, but it was dropped when the Saint Andrews was dropped from the Fulham name. Uh-huh. It was one of my seven things in the Norwich right, programme. Right, Collins. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your famous oh, yeah. bit in the Norwich programme. Right, yeah, what right. else is coming? Uh, last question for tonight. Um, it's from Rob French. He says, from the promotion rivals, Wolves, Cardiff and Villa, pick one player from each that you think would fit into our squad and why? Zahor. No, from each of the clubs. From each one of the One from Villa, one from Cardiff. So one from Cardiff being Zahor. Yeah. Um, Jack Grealish. 
Albert Adoma. Yeah, Joe would definitely do a job, wouldn't he? I'd absolutely. I've always rated Albert Adoma. I think, although, it'd be hard to get him in. Who would he replace? Because yeah. I mean, Ojo, you'd imagine. Yeah, on the right wing. I, Can I, Adoma play right? Or does Adoma play right? I thought he would play on right. the left. He does play on the left predominantly, but I'm sure he can play. I'll, I'll just right. say Jack Grealish because he's, he's a direct winger and he's English and proudest. Super JC Jack, knows. Super Jack. JC knows. Um, I would have Conor Hurahan from Villa, oh, of course, uh, because yeah. he could do a job Irish. rotating with Stefan Johansson <laughs> in the middle, and I feel like they both are the same kind of player. And if we are to go up, I think we're going to need someone to someone else to do the Steph job with Steph. And Fulham need an Irish player just for Jack's sake. Well, we've got Cyrus, man like Cyrus. Also, I've said this too many times, but he, how did he win Young Irish Player of the Year? He's twenty five. He's twenty five. It's very odd. Um, then from Wolves, oh. Ruben Neves. I'm just going to try and pick someone that's not Ruben Nevers. Connor Cody? Matt Doherty. Doherty yeah, Doherty's yeah. a lovely player. Although we've already got Fredericks and, uh, and Chris. I think Doherty actually is, a, is another level. No, I, I would probably go Connor Cody because we need a centre-back. Uh, mine would be Helder Costa, I think, because we could do with a right winger. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Cardiff, Cardiff, Jack said Zahor. I think Zahor is probably the obvious answer. Mendes Lang, I'd maybe have. Mendes Lang's decent. Yeah. I just don't like any of their players. I quite yeah. like Nathaniel Mendes Lang. Neil Etheridge, just for the uh, just for the old no, he's the reason the nostalgia. We, left, we got knocked out of Europa League, that Odense game at home, so we'll oh. never forgive him. Yeah, no. So it's it's terrible. Um well wow, that is that is all the questions, I'm afraid, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for um for tonight. We're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Are there any emails? Uh there are, but I feel like how long are we on? We could probably do one more if you really want to, but it's 47. Yeah, let's just put the interview in, especially with cuts. It's going to be about an hour, which is ideal. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, thank you very much, Jack. Um, so we'll name the podcast in just a moment, but I think it's time uh, to speak to your man, Roland. Do you want to intro this interview for us, Jack? Yeah, um, I met Roland in Hammersmith Broadway in a, in a coffee shop, so do a pl- we do apologise for the slight noise in the background. Um, it's still very much audible, so don't don't be put off. Um, I started the interview by asking Roland about his book and how you know how he began writing a book about last season. Well, I've supported Fulham for a very long time, since 1956, and uh, it's been a, a, a long love affair, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, I like the way Fulham were playing under Slavisa. I had a feeling that um, you know that season would be good and uh, I you know I hedged my bets really and thought that uh, I having written one book about theatre and broadcasting I chance my arm and, and write about the team I loved. So you mentioned obviously the, the other books you've written and how did writing about Fulham compare to those what was the kind of different strategies you employed what you know, is it more of a pouring out from the heart when you're talking about your football club? One would imagine, or is it is it you know as considered and as you know lengthier process? I'd say as writing you know more standard sort of books, if you will. Well, I suppose it's uh, more in the form of um, observations from a, a supporter's point of view. Um, you know, I'm I'm not an expert professionally. But I know something about the game and I'm looking to observe uh, and talk to supporters, put forward their points of view. Um, I also like uh, to describe the processes of supporting the club, like where you are at the cottage, the people you meet, um, also going away, 
how the trips, uh, you know, um, you know, influence a certain degree of attitude and dialogue among the supporters, the experience of other towns, other clubs, uh, their support, and uh, obviously uh, the match itself. Um, so, um, but intertwined with that, you know, so with intertwined with last season, there's also a bit of my own personal history about, you know, supporting the club over many years and, and sort of cameos of the past. So I suppose that's what makes the book a little bit different to, you know, your standard football memoir is that it's interspersed with anecdotes and stories which relate to, you know, the club's present into the club's past and that, that makes it slightly different. Yes, I mean, you know, because there were some fantastic characters that we've had in the past and, um, you know, they're part of my childhood uh, and then going forward... Uh, um, they've continued over many years, you know. Um, I'm old enough to remember Johnny Haynes playing, which was absolutely wonderful, and that was one of the reasons I supported the club, because, uh, you know... Um, I was a kid, you know, looking for an autograph and uh, Johnny Haynes not only signed the autograph book of me and my friend, that friend Danny, but also uh, said we could go and watch training, which in those days, amazingly enough, was actually on the pitch. <laughs> well, there we are. It's a, um, it's a lovely anecdote and uh, I suppose a love affair began with that, with the club, which has traversed many years, ups and downs. And, and last year was, was obviously massively one of the ups. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I thought we'd played some great football last year. And, um, you know, um, it's a pity it didn't finally take us to the Premiership. But, you know, the actual way we're playing is a delight to watch. And, um, you know, it's been said by many supporters, it's the best football I've seen the club play since when John, uh, Jean Tagana was here. So this year obviously has been a sort of a continuation, I suppose, of that kind of footballing style and that kind of form. How have you found this year in comparison with last year and how would you say the two sides are you know, comparable in, in that respect? Well, a lot of new players came to the club last season at the beginning of the season and maybe it's forgotten actually that the transfer process last season went very well. I mean, we had, I, I don't know how many there were now, I can't remember, about 10? Yeah, no. You know, were new, and they all, most of them, bedded down pretty bloody well. You know, so I mean, everybody must take some credit for that. This season, it was a little bit more difficult. I, I think that uh, it's just my own opinion. I think you have to have a bit of luck in the transfer dealings these days. There's so many considerations. There's so much wheeling and dealing, and of course, the, the players that we want to make the side better to actually get us in the Premiership are the kind of players that are going to have a lot other offers, not only on the continent, but maybe from lower Premiership clubs. So they're going to hedge their bets right to the end. And this means it can be very difficult to nail them down. And then, of course, they say no, and then you're into the second choice, and then he's suddenly gone somewhere else, so you're into the third choice. So I, I have some sympathy, which not everybody may have, but you know, I, I do think it's a bit more complicated than people think. Um, but, um, you know, uh, obviously it, uh, the transfer window probably wasn't to as successful as last season. Although, having said that, some of them have uh, gained in confidence as they've gone on, like Kamara, for instance. Um, and um, you can see the potential in, 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 in that young lad. 
Uh, and of course, by the time we got to the next transfer window, we were around there or thereabouts at seventh. So it was, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as disastrous as some people think. But nonetheless, of course, it could have, been, you know, if it was better, we might have been, you know, more near an automatic place. But who knows? Um, once we got new people in, I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, that Mitrovic has made a big difference, a uh, very big difference. And, uh, you know, if somebody can hold the ball up, you know, he's a focal point. Uh, he gives confidence to the team uh, and, you know, uh, he's on the money scoring goals, you know. But I think the other thing that people might forget, you know, because everything goes so fast these days, is, you know, our most important player at the hub of the way we play, Tom Kearney, has spent nearly three quarters of the season injured. This has made an enormous difference. So to get to seventh before the, or whatever uh, it was at that time, before the, the, the second transfer window wasn't bad. I, I think Mitrovic's form has been um, fundamental in us going further and being more successful. But I think also the return of Tom Kearney has, uh, it's been noticeable that once he returned and was anything near fitness, the results got a lot better as well. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can push on and that we could ideally get an automatic uh, promotion place. But that is looking more and more difficult as games run out. Not impossible, but difficult. That takes us to the playoffs, which puts a whole new slant on the situation because we're no longer in a league situation. We're in a cup situation. And... To be quite honest, anything can happen in those games. I am just hoping that the experience of last year uh, of the players will give them greater confidence and knowledge to get through it a uh, better, you know. Although I, they didn't do badly in those two games, they were unfortunate and a little unlucky. But if we can hopefully gain something from that and push on, there's no reason we, why we can't get to the Premiership through the players, playoffs. But the playoffs are, you know... Um, a lottery. They are a lottery. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, and it, it's going to be tense. And of course, this is then in the championship. It becomes not so much about football as you get to the starting line. It's about you know stamina, uh, character, mentality, etc. And 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 are the players going to be up for this uh, so that their undoubted skill? can flourish in a positive way to take us there. Well, I think it's one of the, the important points you brought up there is the kind of difference between last season's summer window and this season's summer window. Um, and what struck me, and, and something we've discussed on the podcast before, is the kind of difference in the January windows. You know, you look at last year, where we brought in Syriac, who barely featured, the likes of uh, Petsos, who, who very much didn't feature, and Sakari Matilla. Uh, and instead, we got, you know, and this year we got Mitrovic, Target, and, um, and we're looking at those kind of players as the people that can really drive us forward and you think that kind of mentality and the kind of upward trajectory of this season is going to be a positive thing when it comes to the kind of final stretch as they say 
You would think that players like Target and Mitrovic, you know, they are that bit more experienced having played for bigger clubs in, you know, not bigger clubs, but you know what I mean, clubs in the Premiership. Um, they um, hopefully bring a, a certain stability to the party there. But, you know, as you said earlier, it's a lottery. I don't like the playoffs, you know. I think they're a commercial construction that, you know, obviously everybody knows about them before the season starts, but they're there to make money, you know. I mean, basically, um, we're in a league, and basically it should be the first two or three that go, in my opinion, because that's what a league is. It's not suddenly a cup competition, you know, at the end of the season, but that's the way it is. That's the way it's been laid down from the beginning, so everybody knows that, but I find it a contradiction. It's either a, a league competition or a cup competition, not a mixture of both. But anyway, having got that off my chest, we are where we are with it. And, you know, as you said, it's a lottery. I, you will need luck in those games. You need luck in cup games. You can play very well. You, you know, things don't go for you on the day and you can lose. But, you know, hopefully uh, the reverse will happen this time and we'll go through and win. Well, we are we are all hopeful. I tell you, I'll be grateful for the playoffs if we finish in fourth, um, I mean, as opposed to a, a league system which takes the top three. Um, but 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 your point is valid, and, and the, the difference in a league and cup competition is obviously less pronounced in, in these kind of divisions. And you know, the playoff is, as they say, the most expensive game in the most expensive game in, in football. So you know, there are plenty of, of things to be discussed there. I think a couple of things just before we finish up. Um, what players have stood out for you this season? in comparison to last season especially and, and, and what players have you noticed a, a significant sort of difference in whether for better or for worse um, across the two seasons um, well obviously Mitrovic has, as I said earlier has made a, a huge difference um, I think an unsung hero for me is Dennis Adoy. I know he made a, a mistake in the last game, very unfortunate because I thought he played quite well. But, you know, he's been asked to play in so many different positions. Um, you know, I don't know if he moans or not. You know, I've no idea. We don't know. But he seems to get on with the job he's asked to do. People said he couldn't be a centre-back. Maybe, you know, you could think that there are players that are more ideally a centre-back, but he's covered very well. He's got an incredible spring for such a small guy. Um, he uses the ball very well. Um, and he's, you know, he's playing right back, left back, in a three, in the, you know, whatever. And there's not many people in the club that can do that. Uh, so I think we're quite fortunate to have him, you know. And I think he, in that sense, he's stood out. Um, you know, um, I think, uh, obviously, I think Fredericks has played extremely well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot at stake for Fulham now, you know, because it's not... This is what, of course, becomes doubly worrying about the playoffs. If you want my honest opinion, you know, I'm not sure that all these players are going to stay at Fulham if we don't make it. So, uh, not only the players, I, you know, this, the, the situation re the manager, because not many managers stay after getting to the playoffs twice. We've just seen one uh, from Sheffield Wednesday go to Swansea, you know, and this guy has a. Re 
tends not to stay that long at clubs and is very ambitious, rightly so, because he's talented. But, you know, and then there's the situation with Carney and McDonald's just, you know, recently been playing for the Scottish team. I know, you know, they, they will be looking... They, um, there could be players that will get offers from uh, Premiership clubs. I'm not sure of all the contracts. This is this is the concern that there might be a situation that we're at the last chance saloon with this group, and that we might have to start all over. You know, hopefully not. Uh, but fingers crossed. But we must face the reality that you know they're there, you know, to make a living, um, whether we like it or not. Uh, you know. They're, they're, they're professional footballers and they will look at the opportunities that, that are coming towards them and of course they're not getting younger in several cases. They think if I get an offer at 28, 29, you know, am I going to and it's it, it's considerably more money than Fulham in a club in a higher league, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm being devil's advocate here, but this is a reality that could happen, so um, we know that I believe Fredericks hasn't signed a new contract, well, well, that gives you a certain insight into thinking. I don't think that's because they dislike Fulham or working for Fulham and playing for Fulham. I think it's just them, you know, knowing that they have a, a limited shelf life and looking at their, their options, given they've been here for some two or three seasons. So, you know, that was would be actually, although we have some super players uh, coming through, in, 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 you know, they won't necessarily all transfer into the first team. And then there's the business of you know, who, in my opinion, he might become the the first Fulham player that ends up playing for Barcelona or Real Madrid. I think that's quite a possibility because it's not just about his ability, which is, is considerable for somebody of his age, but he seems to have the temperament. You know, he reminds me a bit of Bobby Moore, actually. That's, he can, he seems to be only, he's so young. For one so young, he seems so focused, concentrated and relaxed that he can take all the, the rubbish that goes with being a, a professional footballer, you know, and not be seduced by doing things silly. Um, I, you know, he, and, and I would think that he might well reach the, the actual highest echelons of the game. I hope so. But so we have this situation which, um, you know, we've got to be aware of. Um, hopefully there'll be a sufficient nucleus, if you know, to, to move on whatever happens. But we, we don't know for definite, that's for sure. So bloody well get promoted now. <laughs> this is it, boys. Uh, the, uh, you, you heard it here first, but this is very much it. Um, so, Roland, just before we go, um, tell us where we can get your book for it, Insight, and, and how kind of, you know, why it's relevant to, to another playoff push, potentially, and, and where we can get hold of it. Well, I think people will enjoy the book. I hope so, anyway. And... Uh, Certainly those who know a lot about Fulham should enjoy it. Um, any, and if they don't, there's at least some food for thought. But uh, most people who've read it seem to enjoy it. Um, it's, there's a special offer until April the 3rd where it's on Amazon Kindle for only 4 99 It got on Amazon Paperback for 7 38 And at Lulu, which is another um, uh, publishing company, you can easily get Googling it, publishing company, it's printed 
at 7.99. So there's lots of cheap options there, but there's a special Amazon offer until April the 3rd. So go out and buy and enjoy it, and it's, it, it, it takes you through all experiences of where we're going now. So relive the moment. Well, indeed. Well, thank you very, very much to Mr. Roland Jacarella. His book, Being Fulham, is available at all the stores he just told you about, and we'll post the link to it underneath this podcast. Um, thank you for listening, and thank you, Roland. Thanks a lot, Jack. Right, well, thank you to Jack and Roland for that interview. Uh, which coffee shop out of interest did you go to? We started in Starbucks, but it was too noisy, so we went to Costa. Okay, and yeah. Costa is better for sound levels for anyone that might be interested in the future. Yeah, well, we thought so, but it was, you know, it was, you know, it, it, it's one of those where I think it's, you know, different different strokes for different folks. Well, if <laughs> well, if you're interested in that book, make That's sure. A <laughs> oh no, it just sounds a bit, you know. <laughs> make sure you uh, give it a search on Amazon. There are. Um, we're going to put the links to the book in the podcast description and underneath this on Twitter if you're looking for to to, to go and buy Roland's book. Good stuff. Go buy his book. Jack, what's the title of today's podcast? So I did want to call it just Super Jack, but I um, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to not do that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play on Fulham's own kind of crap slogan for yesterday, and I'm going to call it a right royal redemption. Oh, you didn't. You've yeah, got... not, I've not spelled it redemption with reading. Like, okay. I'm not doing that. I was like, going to say... Just, not that tragic. You, yeah, no, I mean, I'm a little bit tragic, but not that tragic. Just a right royal redemption spelled the right way. <laughs> As everything also going around the ground at the moment, like, wonderful... Yeah, no, I've seen this. I don't mind that as much. I don't hate that as much. There are there are there are things I hate, but that's there was one I quite really like. Mean. It's the um, you know, make sure you buy your season ticket. Don't be regretful. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like how they've gone into the negative. We've run out of yeah. positive slogans. They're like, oh, let's put a couple of negatives in here to really really ramp up the pressure on the lads. Don't, be, don't miss it next season. You'll be regretful. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening today. Fulhamish will return. Next Monday, Next um, Monday, after the Brentford game, we'll be looking back at the Brentford game and then there'll be an extra podcast next week. Looking forward to that crunch Millwall game. Also, Millwall. I must, must add, Fulhamish has a radio show that we do uh, every single Wednesday night between 9 and 10. Uh, Dom's always on it. and then we I'm kind always of, on it. Dom is always Dom's on it. Dom's head of radio here at Fulhamish Towers. And then we kind of <laughs> rotate it around who the other guest is. Aaron Paul hosts it, and Aaron is a quality guy. We've really got to know Aaron well over the last few weeks, uh, and we really like him. Um, so you either can listen to it live if you're in London on 558am or on digital radio, or you can listen online live. And your Alexa smart speaker. Yeah. Or um, we'll always post after the game a um, listen back link so uh, Dom will post that whenever the show's just gone out uh, and you can listen back to the show so if two Fulhamish podcasts plus Cottage Talk plus Fulham Focus plus whatever else Fulham you listen to isn't enough we have an hour's radio show that you can listen to to get even more Fulham content just Fulham content 24-7 we are actually becoming a 24-7 news agency here at Fulhamish and we're very excited about it Yeah, there's a couple of really good articles going up on the website over the next couple of days Uh, make sure you check them out we've got a really good one from uh, Sam Finesilver about uh, the finances at Fulham and uh, nice. the report and also there's a new Craven Corner and a new Collins column on the way so there you are loads going on in the Fulham world and rightly so with Fulham doing so well uh, so to Jack Collins thank you very much go online and buy our merch <laughs> Don Betts thank you very much listen to the radio show <laughs> Jack Collins what are you going to plug? That's Jack, Jack Kelly, Kelly. Jack Kelly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
I'm not even going to edit it out. Jack Kelly, what are you going to plug? I was going to say Tally Ho, Tally Ho, we are the Fulham chaps. Oh, right. I also, were... plug your Snapchat. I thought you were... Oh, and the plug the Snapchat. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was a killer and you plug the Snapchat. Uh, I'm not going to plug anything. I'm just going to say goodbye. Goodbye. Toodles. Tally Ho.